Good morning again. In the, uh, in the pastor church world, the week after uh, Christmas and Easter, there's a little bit of a, a stigma that if you preach on those weeks after Easter, or after Christmas, it's kind of the junior varsity weekend. <laughs> and I just want you to know that is um, completely true. Um, <laughs> so the big guy's gone this weekend, um, and you're stuck with me. But I have actually, in my time at Lake Avenue Church, gotten quite familiar with these weekends and look forward to them. Uh, I look forward to them because I think part of the job of a pastor is to shepherd, is to help people see where we've been and, and where, we've, where we're going. And Easter Sunday was an incredible morning at Lake Avenue Church. If you were visiting family somewhere else, we, we get it. We know that on Easter we, we spread out, not everybody's here, but it was a full morning. It was a, an incredible morning, and the energy and buzz during our worship gatherings and out on the patio and all the way to the cars was incredible. In between services, I, I walked from here to just get a cup of, of cold water on the patio, and I got stopped what felt like dozens of times with people saying, what a great morning it was, what a great service, thank you, thank you, tell everybody thank you. And my email and my text messages declared the same things all week long. Yesterday at the Little League field, a Lake Avenue church person grabbed me and let me know that Easter was awesome, Easter was incredible. See, part of being a pastor is to shepherd, is to help us see where we've been. And, and, and I just want us for a moment to pause and ask the question, what makes Easter Sunday, what made Easter Sunday at Lake Avenue Church an incredible morning? Yes, God. And yes, because we paused for a moment and remembered the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we celebrated that and it was powerful, but friends, every day is Easter for the follower of Jesus. Every day is resurrection. What was different about our day at Lake? Well, I got here about 6.45 in the morning and noticed volunteers who had shown up in sweatpants with sidewalk chalk, writing Happy Easter and getting our kids' area ready down on the lower patio. Around 7, 7.30, which is, which is early for people to start streaming off of the shuttles. Many of you got here early that morning, went into the student center, got briefed for the morning on, on what your location was going to be, where you were going to smile, where you were going to say Happy Easter. We had every door covered in the worship center. Many of you waited at Gateway Parking with a happy face on, just excited that whoever parked and walked on that shuttle, you were going to be the first person they saw to say, Good morning, Happy Easter, welcome to Lake Avenue. Families serving together with small children. Empty nesters serving alongside those families, singles of all ages, all ages coming together to get ready to celebrate something beautiful. And that morning on, where Jeremy is sitting on this, this front pew, I, I got the privilege to sit with my gorgeous wife and my seven-year-old son. That doesn't happen every week at church for me. And in our worship center, our young children were there with their worship folders and counting and drawing, and babies were crying, and we were all okay with that. We loved it. 
At the end of the service, we gave people an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus, and 11-year-olds gave their lives to Jesus, and 70-year-olds gave their lives to Jesus. Friends, it was a good morning. We were crowded in here, we were crowded on the patio, and at the exact same time where we were crowded in two specific locations, there were thousands of square feet at Lake Avenue Church vacant. Rooms that are normally full with adult classes and youth ministry. Rooms that are usually full with support group ministries and and counseling and things that happen every Sunday morning here. There were whole buildings vacant. And yet we come together at church and we experience something and we say, that was incredible. That was different. There was something special about that morning. And what was special, friends, is that we were together as the community of faith at Lake Avenue. And we were not doing the things that we normally do. Now, now hear me clearly. I am so grateful for the legacy and the ministry, past, present, and future of our adult classes. It's powerful. So, so this message and this illustration isn't meant to say let's, let's blow up the old buildings and cancel all that stuff and be together. But friends, we have to be smart people and we have to observe that when we leave church on Easter Sunday and we say things like that was an incredible morning, we have to connect the dots to say part of what made that incredible was that when the Spirit dwells among the fullness of the body of Christ, it's powerful. And we have to learn to crave those times together and to celebrate those times together and to recognize that that is what the community of faith is supposed to do. This morning our classes met, our youth ministry met, incredible, incredible. But on Easter and on Christmas and a few other times a year when the church senses we ought to be together, it's not just to check something off a list, It's to experience what we are going to experience for eternity, that kind of fullness. You cannot read the Bible. You cannot read the Bible and see a divide-and-conquer strategy of discipleship. It's not there. You see that the community of faith has a responsibility to the community of faith. And some of the ways that we have divided up in our culture and on our day for that specialization are needed and wonderful and great— But I wonder if sometimes we've gone to an extreme. And on Easter Sunday, we celebrate living life and worshiping as we were created to. So with that in mind, we'll be in Psalm 78 this morning, verses 1 to 8. And will you stand for the reading of God's word? My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, and even the children yet to be born, and they in turn will tell their children. Then they will put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. 
They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirits were not faithful to him. This is the word of God. You may be seated. But what if we just stood for the rest of the service? Would that be? Okay. Okay. Sorry. Here's the context. We're in Psalm 78. Many of you know this. There's uh, five books of the Bible, five books of the Bible that are called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature in the Bible has a, is a very unique genre to the rest of Scripture because the author, the point of view of all the wisdom books, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Job, the point of view of all of those writings is from a human perspective. The point of view is a human describing what it is like to live in God's world and to live God's ways. And so in the Psalms themselves, right, we see this, uh, what could be almost a schizophrenic uh, point of view, where there are times where life is working and it's great, and there's a lot of times where it's not working, and where are you, God? They are written from a human perspective, and throughout all of those books, the, the goal is to attain wisdom. What are the ways that people live, and it, it kind of works out? What are the patterns to life? What are the ways and places where wisdom shows up? So in in Psalm 78, we have wisdom literature. We find out that the author of this is someone named Asaph, and his perspective, we can tell right on. If you read through, and I would encourage you this week to read all of Psalm 78, that Asaph has a perspective, one of a sage, one of a prophet of Israel, somebody very knowledgeable in Israel's history. In fact, the whole Psalm 78 is embedded in this ancient history of Israel and the relationship with the living God. We see in Psalm 78 God's interaction with the previous generations, and we see God's redemptive history and acts throughout the scriptures. Psalm 78, if you read the whole thing, you'll see two narratives that seem like they oppose each other, but as we search wisdom and we try to understand what's working here, we see how these narratives are connected to one another. What are those narratives? One. In Psalm 78, the whole psalm, you see time and time again that Israel, the people of God, did not trust God. 40 and 41, even though God had saved them, had provided for them, had led them, you will see throughout Israel's history a group of people, the nation of Israel, who are not trusting God. And so in 40 and 41 of 78, the verse says, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested him again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. So one narrative is the people of God being unfaithful to God and not trusting God. The other narrative is a God who is merciful and loving with a disobedient people. So in verse 38, yet he, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity, did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all of his wrath. Psalm 78 is about two stories. One, the story of God and the story of God's people. And the ultimate story of Psalm 78 is that God's love and grace wins over disobedience. That the story of God is embedded in the story of us. It overcomes the story of us that we will be just like Israel where we have heard and seen and witnessed and experienced the power of God in our lives, but we learn, just like Israel, that people have very short memories, that people can forget very quickly about the power of God. And yet, even with short memories, even in disobedience, 
We have a God of love and of grace that wins over that small story. So Psalm 78 is, is just that, the, these two stories, the story of us, the story of God, and the story of God overcoming the story of us. But in the first eight verses of Psalm 78, before we get into the specific history that he will go over through all of 78, there's this introduction. Now we're going to get into some stories here. I'm going to tell this in terms of a parable, in terms of a proverb. I mean, we're going to get into this in a moment, but before we get into this, let me introduce, here's why we're doing this. We are doing this specifically in Psalm 78. We're going to recall these stories of God, the story of people, so that you can tell the next generation about who God is. And you can tell the next generation about who we are as people. This is written to parents. This is written to the entire community of faith saying that we're going we're to remember. We're not going to have short memories. We're going to have long memories. We're going to remember who God is. We're going to remember his power. We're going to remember his might. And we are going to tell the next generation. We are going to leave a legacy. The legacy of God's story. So, from these eight verses in Psalm 78, I want to suggest to you just two points. Two points this morning. One, is that in Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, what we read together, we see a rhythm and a pattern of the spiritual life that we are to recognize and to live. And the pattern is this. Remember who God is. Remember God's power. Remember God's story. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember his deliverance. Remember his relentless pursuit. Remember his mission. We, as the people of God, the pattern of life that we are to look for, the spiritual life, the faithful life, is one where we remember God, and then we share that story, and we live that story. Remember, share, live. That's why in the very beginning of the scriptures, when God has established this people of God, we read, and you can read all throughout Deuteronomy and all through all the, the, the first five books of the Bible, you will see that God set up this system of remembering for his people. It is really important to God that his people remember who he is. And so we have all these festivals, and essentially God did this. He said, here's, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to, I want you to gather together, have great parties, and while you're having a great party, remember what I did. I want you to be a people who remembers. I want you to be a people that when you remember, you celebrate. I want you to be a people that remembers who I am, what I have done, how much I love you, how much I have pursued you. Be the kind of people who have a pattern in their life of remembering God, and then not just for ourselves, but now to share that story with coming generations and other people. And because we know that words can share one thing and a life can share something else, that we're going to add that third pattern. Remember, share, and live. Because I can share all day long about who God was in history, but if I'm not living that truth in my life, the Bible tells us that we're nothing but a noisy glong, a clanging cymbal, Nobody wants to hear it. And friends, there's a lot of noisy gongs in Christianity. A lot of people who've got it all figured out, have remembered the story of God, they know it back and forth, and they proclaim it, and then we look at their lives and they don't live it, and it's just noise to the world. The spiritual life that we see in Psalm 78, 1 through 8, is one where the pattern of God that he established in the very beginning of Scripture follows us now. Remember, share, live. Live. 
Now, specifically in Psalm 78, it is to the next generation. Here's where I think the church in general, not just Lake Avenue Church, all church, has gotten it wrong. This is the pattern we live in in our day, or this is the temptation of the pattern. We remember who God is, and then we hire staff to tell the next generation. <laughs> we remember who God is, and then we hire a children's pastor to take care of that. Oof. Friends, that's, that's the pattern. That's the temptation. The idea that somehow the commitment to the next generation. No, you cannot read through the scripture a divide and conquer strategy where there were special priests or prophets assigned to those who were 18 years and under and they would take the message forward. No, it was the community of faith commitment to the coming generations to proclaim the story of God. We hire staff at Lake Avenue Church to lead us in that effort, not do the work to lead us, to mobilize us as a congregation, to know the needs of those ages and to know the, the ways we can best reach them and disciple them. But we don't hire high school pastors and middle school pastors to take care of it all. We hire them to lead us as a congregation in our commitment to the younger generations. So again, we are not blowing up buildings and we're not firing pastors this weekend. But we have to recognize that the spiritual life is one of remembering and sharing to the next generation, and nobody's off the hook on that. Why are we sharing? Second observation from the scriptures. What's the point of sharing? I'll, I'll be honest. With a seven-year-old son, my heart jumps and is fulfilled right now that he loves being at 393 North Lake Avenue. I'm good. But we do not exist as a church to reach the next generation so they just like being on the property at Lake Avenue. What are we doing? What is the point of our sharing? If it's just so they like being here, we're missing it. The aim of our sharing, I think we can see it in verse 6 and 7. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Verse 6, so the next generation would know them. We share with the next generation the story of God so they might have knowledge of God. So they might know who God is. Not just so they know how long Lake Avenue Church has been here. We share with the next generation so they might know God. That's why we gather. Verse 7, then, after they have knowledge of God, they would know those things, they'll put their trust in God, and they would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So our aim of sharing is so that the next generation might have knowledge of God, obedience to God, verse 7, faithfulness to God. Here's the great thing. We all need these things all the time. We all have to be growing in our knowledge of God. We all have to be growing in our obedience to God. We all need to be growing in our faithfulness to God. You've been around church long enough to know that just because you know something of God doesn't mean you are living it with God. Doesn't mean you're faithful to God. It doesn't even happen in seminary. You know, when I was at seminary, I was in class a lot of times with people who knew way more technically about God, but their lives weren't living for God. That's possible. That's even possible for church people. So our commitment to the next generation is the same commitment we should have to ourselves. A commitment to growing in our knowledge of God, obedience of God, faithfulness of God. 
The faithful life is one that reflects and remembers on the faithfulness and the grace of God and shares that story to the next generations. It's one that remembers and shares and lives. Shares it in such a way as to cultivate knowledge, hope, obedience, faithfulness. Many of you know this. I I share this freely that I didn't grow up in a Christian family. When it comes to my spiritual uh, paternity, I am a child of the church. I met Jesus because of some tough stuff that was going on at home, and youth groups started swallowing me up with love, and they started telling me about Jesus, and I gave my life to Jesus. Jenny and I together, what we are doing in our family is different than the families we have come from. And in many ways, hear me, we have come from amazing families. But we didn't grow up in families where you would just open the scripture and talk about it. We didn't grow up in families where you would pray much. We didn't grow up in families where we, where we were asked, hey, what did you learn at church today? Jenny and I are children of the church. Our spiritual paternity is the local church. I asked her permission in this message if I could share with you our family mission statement. Yes, we are that nerdy that we have a family mission statement. Let me share it with you. We are a first-generation Christ-following family, and we are passionate, adventurous, and quirky. We sacrifice time, energy, and money to invest in our family and our home so that we can be a healthy family that can be a family to others. Our friendships and livelihood primarily come out of our commitment to our church and to her ministries. We value hospitality, generosity, and friendship. There's a lot more we value, but this is a little driver for us and how we make decisions and things like that. And I'd love to tell you that Jenny and I are smart enough that we sat down together and said, what are we about? Let's come up with some words. But all of that and so much more is embedded in our, our, our lineage of faith of being discipled in the local church, that we, a lot of those things come out of looking at other families and being in relationship with other people and asking the question, what are they about? There's something attractive about that. Then all of a sudden, when we recognize we're a first-generation Christ-following family, We have this this, uh, constellation of people who have invested in us and mentored us and walked life with us for so many years. If I was to list the people at Lake Avenue Church who've invested in me, it would go on for days. But but right now, uh, Bill Fairbanks and Bob Oberlander and so many other people invest in me personally that their lives are caught up in some of this mission statement. And we're called to be the kind of people who... uh, who are passing the faith on to new generations so that when they get to their moment to figure out what their life is about and how they're to live, that the way we invest in one another and the way we specifically invest in the next generation at this church, that we would be investing in such a way that would leave a legacy. I love how Rafiq led us this morning. Because in a family, you can have those conversations about what kind of music you like and Connecting And friends, we have some growth to do. We've grown. I think Lake Avenue right now, we love our, our young children. We love them more than we ever have. It's a special day to be a parent at Lake Avenue Church. But your ministry council and the leadership of this church looks around and goes, man, 18 years old, 30 years old, that window. Man, we need to, we need to, we need to keep asking the question, how do we get people at the table? Some of you are there and we're grateful But we have to live out Psalm 78 
not just to the young, young generations that are frankly are kind of fun to be around, but to the generations where we're a little confused. How might we do that? In 2012, the Lord provided a, a very neat, not just opportunity, but a relationship. Um, I was connected to Fuller Youth Institute, and we were uh, contracted with the Christian Association of Serving Adults. And this ministry focuses on adults in their second half of life. And what had happened is their executive director, who you'll meet in a moment, pastor, leader, doctor, writer, Ward Tannenberg, read Sticky Faith, Kara Powell's book, and said, this is the content of what we want to take to our regional conferences around the country. And somehow I got introduced to Ward, and Ward and I, Pastor Ward and I, we, uh, we toured around the United States speaking to senior-aged adults in the second half of life about how to invest in the lives of young people. And what ended up happening is by the, by the last couple conferences we were doing, we were matching our calendars and saying, well, if we got in a day early, we could hang out for the day. And if we stayed a little bit later, then we could get a little bit more time. And if I track what God was doing in my life, in fact, in between service, somebody affirmed this, it was about 2012 where God was doing a work in me and my love for all of you. Where all of a sudden, I couldn't just care about high school kids. I couldn't just only care about kids. I started caring about all, everybody and going, the longer I'm at this place, my heart is getting bigger and bigger. And I look back now and sense and see that the Lord placed Pastor Ward Tannenberg in my life to begin mentoring me and speaking to me about what leadership is about, what pastoring is about, how you love the people you lead, how you have a normal life as a pastor, how you, and we talk about everything. And so this weekend, it's a great privilege for me, and you can read about Ward more in your worship folder after he's done, but I've asked Ward to come up here, and in light of Psalm 78, this idea that we have a commitment and a calling on our life to invest in the next generations, I've asked Ward to come up as, as a credible witness and to encourage us on what that might look like for Lake Avenue. Dr. Tannenberg. Good morning. What a privilege it's been to be here. It's been like coming home. That's made because you all have been so kind to me, and, um, and I know some of the people who work here. Uh, I knew Dwayne Funderburg when he was about that high. <laughs> he was a pesky little rat. <laughs> Nothing much has changed. <laughs> Dr. John Sutton, who works with you and your music area, uh, was with me and my my uh, staff for many years in our church that uh, I was privileged to pastor in the Bay Area. And Jeff is a man that I came looking for. I want to, now I'm the illustration this morning. I'm not the sermon. I'm the illustration. Some pastors will do anything to get a good illustration, and this, I'm it. So, so sit back and enjoy it. And the question that I'm asked often this past few days is, how did you and Jeff become acquainted? And the answer is, I came looking for Jeff. I didn't know Jeff. I didn't know I was looking for him specifically. 
But I was introduced to him, and I was hoping to get five good conferences out of him so that he wouldn't screw it up too badly. <laughs> but I discovered early on that I was, uh, I was connected with someone special. And God placed in my heart that realization, here is someone that you need to invest in. And in turn, he has been investing in my life. That's the way it works. Remember that because I'm the illustration. I want to tell you a story. When I first began pastoring a number of years ago in the Bay Area, I had just a small group of people to start with. And a sixth grade teacher and his wife brought their firstborn to me to dedicate to the Lord and to the church. And I did, and his name was Kevin. And he was my first baby dedication in that church. Years went by, and one day Kevin is in my office, having recently graduated from high school, telling me that he believes he wants to go into the ministry. And I said, Kevin, if you can do anything else, if you can do anything else in your life, do it. But if you can't, then give it everything you have. Do it with your whole heart. Years went by, and one day I get a phone call. Hi, Pastor T. This is Kevin. I'm about to be ordained in our, in our church in Hamilton, a suburb of Boston. And you're the only pastor that I've really ever known who's influenced my life, and I wondered if you would come and preach the ordination service. I said, tell me when and where, and I will be there. And it was my privilege to be in the first congregational church of Hamilton, Massachusetts, and preach the ordination service for Kevin, who was then the youth minister, and today he's now the minister of family life, and yes, he got the Sunday after Easter. <laughs> I texted with him this yesterday, and uh, I said, hey, I'm going to be down at Lake Ave Church uh, preaching. And uh, he texted me back and he said, hey, I'm going to be here at First Church and I'm preaching too. And he's preaching from the first chapter of Ephesians. And, and I said, I'm tagging with uh, my, my friend uh, Jeff. What a great privilege to know the heritage and the transition there can be in sharing one's faith. In that church, I asked Kevin to take me after the service was over, to take me across the street to the cemetery, because I knew that in the cemetery were buried two men that I wanted to know about and to be close to. Samuel Wigglesworth began that church in the year 1713. He wrote a book I like. It's, uh, one of the things he said was, people do not expect to see signs and wonders today as disciples saw them of old. God has, God, has God changed? Or has our faith waned so that we are not expecting the greater works that Jesus promised? I like that. He was a good man. He, he pastored that church for 52 years. Next to him in the, in the cemetery is a man named Manasseh Cutler who was his successor 
as pastor in 1771, a great man. He helped start Ohio University. He was a member of the, of the House of Representatives of Congress. And Manasseh pastored that church for another 52 years. And so I put my hands on the, on the tombstone of these two men, and I blessed them and felt honored to be there with two men who gave 104 years of pastoral ministry to First Congregational Church. Wow. That's pretty powerful. I'm in my 57th year of active ministry. I've been hanging in here for a long time. I'm tired. I used to bound up the steps. Now I have to make sure I can get up the steps. You know what I mean? But you see, this church is just a young church. I've heard somebody say, well, this is an older church. It's 100 years old. Get a life. <laughs> get over yourself. My little protege is, is preaching this morning in a church that's 303 years old. Now, that's old. That's old. You guys are just... You're just out of your puppy stage. You're just hitting the prime. And one of the best things that you've got going, a lot of churches don't have these days, and that is people who are 50 years of age and over. Because you see, if I were a young husband, father, looking for a place for my family to hang out and to grow in Christ, I want to be somewhere where there's older people, somebody 20 years older than I am. Somebody who can live the life and share the life with me and with my wife and with my children, who can bless me because my parents or their grandparents are living halfway across the nation somewhere. We don't have any connection, really. But every Sunday, every week, you could gather and you could reach out and you could do what I did. You could look for Jeff. There's a Jeff that needs each and every one of you. There are, three, there are three questions I'd like to leave with you this morning. I ask myself these questions every so often in my journey. I'm asking them again recently because my life has taken a real huge uh, change, and I'm now asking myself, how then shall I live? And these three questions come to the fore again. First question, who is God in my life right now? Who is God in your life right now? Not just what do you know about God, not just your denominational God. I mean, who is God, the Almighty? Who is he to you in your life right now? Think about it. Second question, who am I at this point in my journey? Now, I'm 79 years old. I happen to know that I'm not just in the second half, I'm in the final third. I may be in the fourth quarter. For all I know, I'm in overtime. I really don't know. <laughs> but I know this much. Who I am at this point in my journey is very important to me and to God. And I have to listen up and say, God, here we are. And that brings me to the third question. 
What shall I do with the years that remain? What shall I do with the years that remain? So Jeff and I hung out one day this week pretty much by ourselves. I said, Jeff, let's, let's talk about anything you want to talk about, and I'll talk about anything. I got a couple of questions I'd like to run by you. Because you see, this mentoring thing works both ways. So I asked Jeff, what do you think I should do with the years that remain? His answer was, I think you're doing it. And that, that day and today, I agree with him. I believe that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Who is God in my life right now? Who am I at this place in my journey? And what shall I be? And how shall I spend the years that remain? California became a state in, 19, in 1850. 36 years later, we were still fighting with the Indians. Custer's last stand in the Battle of the Bighorn in Montana took place in June of 1886. And six months later, a very important man was born. Willis Monroe Jolly, January 2, 1877. Remember that date, because that was the date that my grandpa was born. My grandfather, he lived to be 103. He was a tough old guy. Last Sunday, I celebrated my great-grandson, number two, his first birthday. And so we got together on his birthday, and we looked at each other. And I could see he's mapping me. He's checking out my face. He's checking out my voice. He's trying to decide, do I really want to trust this guy with any kind of real relationship? So this is all going through his little one-year-old mind. And I'm determined to be an influence in his life. One-year-old. If he lives to be 100, he'll be living in 2116. 1877, my grandfather was born. 2116, my grandson may be living. That's, that's the length of the influence in my life. From 1877 forward, I have been influenced by my grandfather. And continuing on from this day for the next hundred years, long after I am gone, I will have influenced somebody who will be an influence in the world. This is the power, you see, of the relationship that an older person can have in the life of a younger person. That's why this church is set for great ministries, because... If you, if you older people will get off your duffs, I mean, I, you can't say that, but you will be a man one day, my son, and then you can say it. <laughs> if you get up and look for a Jeff in your life or a Susan or a Betty or a Charlie or whoever it is, somebody that is worth investing in, somebody that you can hang out with, somebody that you can... Put your arm around and say, let's talk, let's share, let's do something together. You will bless the kingdom of God, and this church will continue to be a mighty force when it is 303 years old. Let's pray. 
Lord, I want to thank you for this, for this people, for this family, for the cup that we have enjoyed, for the cross that we have seen, for the crown that we hope for one day. Blessed are those who remain steadfast under trial, for when we've stood the test, we receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I like that, Lord. I thank you for your legacy. I thank you that you have left a heritage here, that you have left with us, Lord, a very special relationship that we can have with you and with one another. So bless this church. Bless, Lord, as we continue to serve you for the years that remain. As we continue to ask the questions, who are you in our life right now? Who am I at this point in my journey? What shall I do with the years that remain? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.